Welcome back to Pause and Listen. I have a great episode coming on right after this short introduction with veterinarian Dr. Louise answering questions from our audience. But before the episode, I want to give a quick disclaimer and apology for some of the audio during the episode. Dr. Louise and I were in different cities recording the episode. Apparently, at that time, we were competing with millions of other people on Wi-Fi, which is so typical these days, with kids in adults' home and going to school and working online. Unfortunately, a few times during the podcast, my voice overlaps with Dr. Louise's. This was completely accidental and caused by a time lapse in the audio between him and I. It does not take away from an awesome podcast by Dr. Louise, nor does it interfere with the questions and answers, but I still wanted to give a quick disclaimer and apology on my behalf. However, I know you will love this episode. So here we go. Welcome back to Pause and Listen. I'm so excited for today's podcast because my special guest is veterinarian Dr. Luis Ipturiaga. Dr. Luis has taken care of now four of my golden retrievers, plus many of my clients' dogs and cats, and we all agree he's the best. I'm very grateful that he agreed to be on the podcast today, answering questions submitted by the audience, because he's a very, very busy guy working full-time at the veterinary clinic, and he also has an alpaca farm. Yes, an alpaca farm, which he will tell us more about later in the podcast. But right now, I'd like to welcome Dr. Louise. Hello, Dr. Louise. How are you tonight? Hi, I'm doing great. Good Thank today. you. How are you doing? So, Dr. Louise, I have five questions from our audience. And if you're ready, I'll start with the first question. Great. So the first question is from Emma from California. Dr. Louise, seven months ago, I adopted a Great Dane who was found wandering in the woods abandoned. The shelter thought he was around two years old. He was emaciated with no fur and sores all over his body. After a couple months, I slowly transitioned him onto a raw diet. He now looks great with a normal, healthy weight fur and no source. Do you recommend any one supplement or supplements you think a dog should take daily? So in regards to the that particular question, if the raw diet is um, bought at the pet store uh, already pretty much uh, uh, pre-made, then it already should have all of the nutritional components that the pet needs and it should not need uh, any type of supplementation. Now, if the raw diet is being uh, made at home, then there would be two options. Uh, the first one would be supplementing with a multivitamin. The one that we normally use is called pet tabs. Uh, pretty much it's P as in Pete, E, as in everyone, and T as in Tom, so pet, and then just tabs from like tablets. And that is a nutritional a multivitamin pretty much that you would give to the pets. The other option, there is a, a website called Balance It, 
um, at where it was actually developed by two UC Davis uh, veterinary nutritionists. And it's the website that I normally refer to clients that want to cook or make their own food at home. Um, I have about eight clients uh, on that types of uh, those type of diets, and they seem to be very pleased with the website. The way it normally works is that um, you have to create a profile. It is free to create the profile, and they allow you then or guide you to pretty much choose what the main protein, what the main carbohydrate, etc., that you're going to use. And then the way that they uh, make their their money is that they'll send you a mixture of the vitamins and minerals uh, in liquid form that then you would mix with the food to make it a well-balanced uh, diet. So that would be the, the other way of doing it. Um, and that way, um, you know, we're not running into any issues of the pets uh, lacking any type of uh, supplementation. Okay, great. The second question is from Marley from Kentucky. During COVID, we adopted two five-month-old sibling Siamese kittens, a boy and girl. The girl is doing great, but the boy refuses to use the litter box. We've tried extra litter boxes around the house, different types of litter, all with no luck. We are very frustrated. We don't want to rehome him, but he's run, ruining our furniture and carpets. Please, can you help? So the first thing to keep in mind in this particular case would be if that male cat is neutered. If he is not, then I would suggest to get that done. That sometimes can help curve that type of behavior. The other uh, thing would be, and that's a more holistic approach, um, is pheromones. Uh, the, the company that uh, we use their products is called Feelaway. Um, they do make them, uh, so veterinarians obviously would have it, and you can get it over the counter as well. Now, um, in the over the counter aspect, any of the pet stores and even online, they should have the, those uh, things available. Now, if uh, we go ahead and uh, you know you get it from the veterinarian, I believe. Uh, obviously, the name is Filaway. If you get it over the counter, I think it's the same company that makes it, but it might have a different name. But the main thing is that they are pheromones. Um, and the idea is that by the pet breathing these pheromones in, it would uh, allow them for them to then relax and not uh, have these type of issues. Um, it works probably about 85% of the time. So it, we do have a high rate of success in cats in particular. Um, the biggest thing is you want to make sure that the square feet uh, of the package uh, of these pheromones matches the square feet of the main area of the house where the litter box would be in or where the cats would spend the most time in. Now, in that particular case, um, what would end up happening would be that, um, you know, it's kind of like a great plug-in. So you would put that on. It does take about six to eight weeks for the full effect. It's not something that's instantaneous that you would see within a couple of weeks. Even on the package, it states that. So you would have it to give it about two months 
before you can evaluate to see if it's working the way you want it to work. Um, there are some other ways that they sell these pheromones. Um, they they do have a like a spray that would be more for like blankets or things of that nature. You could even put it on the litter box itself. Um, they do have a gel that's more for the scratching posts and things of that nature. And then uh, I know for dogs they have a collar. I'm not sure if they do for cats where it's like a slow release. So you would put the collar on the pet and then it slowly would release the pheromones. And those options obviously, as particularly in the collar, I normally recommend if um, the pet has free roam of the house and it would get too uh, expensive to use the, the Glade plug-in looking uh, pheromone devices. Uh, but that would be the other option to see if you can kind of curve that that unwanted. Well, behavior. I hope that helps because I would hate to think that she would have to rehome him uh, because he couldn't stop the she couldn't stop the behavior. The third question is mm -hmm. from Luis from San Diego. Dr. Luis, I recently adopted a senior ten year old lab who was relinquished to the shelter by her owners. She's the sweetest dog and I already love her so much. She's having a hard time. She's depressed, which I understand having been dumped by her owners. What can I do to help her so she feels loved again? The other problem is her owners only gave her table food or McDonald's cheeseburgers. I've tried a few different brands of kibble, but she won't eat it. Then I feel sorry for her, so I give her boiled chicken and rice. I really want her to eat dog food made for senior dogs with all the nutrition in that she needs. What can I do to get her to eat? So in regards to the second part of that question, I would refer probably again to the website that I uh, mentioned in, that, in the answer on that first question, the Balance It uh, website, because unfortunately due to the fact that this particular dog is already older it's going to be very difficult to get it to eat uh your normal kibble uh you know that you can buy at the pet store since it's already been used to eating human food now obviously we don't want him uh eating uh any type of junk food or anything of that nature so as long as uh you're able obviously to um, you know, put the time and effort, I would highly suggest uh, pretty much making a homemade diet for this dog so that it's more uh, apt to eat the food. And also, uh, you know, you would have a lot more control about what he, uh, is being fed in that sense. But I think that that might be your best route. And it would be the same procedure where you would go into the website, choose what things are uh, available to you to be able to give to the pet and then getting that nutrient uh, supplementation mixture from them so that you can make it a, a well-balanced meal, um, you know, and, and then that way, um, you know, we don't have to uh, potentially fight the urge that the pet has of, of avoiding normal dog food and, and going for the human food. Um, you'll have a little bit better control that way. And like I said, it, it, usually when they're already older, it would be a lot more difficult to try to get them to eat their, their regular dog food so that would be an alternative to be able to give them a healthy uh, uh, diet uh, without having to uh, you know have to fight with a pet or, or not being able to transition to the, the regular kibble. In regards to the behavior 
Um, it is something that, you know, pets as a whole, both dogs and cats uh, and, and even birds, etc., do have, uh, you know, different uh, attachments and, and familiarization with their surroundings that when things change can affect them. Now, in this particular case, as long as you're socializing a lot with a pet and, and not just with you, but with other family members and uh, other pets potentially that they might have, um, you know, that would, they slowly start coming out of their shell. Now, normally when I have an owner that has recently acquired a pet, uh, I tell them I give it at least two weeks for them to get adjusted to the new environment, potentially in some cases, a new diet, etc. But then um, as time progresses and, and you form more of a bond, um, you know, they'll start uh, responding a little bit more. You'll have some dogs that are more calm than others. And also, you have to remember that a lot of these um, geriatric pets, you know, it's like an older human, you know, they're in a different stage in their life. So they tend to want to rest more. Uh, they're not necessarily as active as a puppy or an adult dog would be. Um, and so uh, as a whole, with exceptions, obviously, they have a more calm type of demeanor. Um, so I, I, I would hesitate that if that is the case to to necessarily, uh, you know, confuse that with sadness. It could be just that, you know, they're at the stage where they need more rest. Uh, but they'll know, and a lot of these guys are very smart, you know, that if, if you're showing them, um, you know, appreciation and love, um, you know, they'll, they'll respond back. And, and, you know, and people like uh, Mariette, who has, um, you know, obviously uh, extensive knowledge and the behavior aspect of things could also kind of guide you, um, you know, if you have uh, more in-depth questions per se in some of that. Yeah, and sometimes it just program. takes a while. The fourth yeah, question is from Mike from Louisiana. Hey, Dr. Luis, I have a bull mastiff who constantly scoots and always smells bad. I give him baths regularly, but even after a bath, he still smells. I've heard that it's not good to have a dog's anal glands expressed all the time because it causes constipation when they're older. Is that true? And what can I do? So normally with uh, anal glands, uh, as one of the issues that we tend to see, it's actually the opposite thing where the, the fact that we don't express the anal glands you can see constipation-like behavior where the pet takes longer to defecate. You'll also obviously see the scooting. Sometimes they'll bite their inner thigh or outer thigh, the base of the tail. Um, there's different presentations uh, that you'll notice. And in, in some of the more extreme cases I've had where the dog, uh, their appetite actually decreases and by default they defecate less. And it's almost like the dog starts correlating that if they eat a lot, they defecate a lot and they're in discomfort when they defecate so they don't eat as much. Um, and the more serious cases is where you get a fistula, which is an artificial canal, um, either above on the side or below the anal gland, where the body uh, pretty much uses it as a drain because the if the anal gland becomes compacted for a long time, it becomes almost like an abscess or it becomes actually an abscess. And then the only way that the body can um, get rid of the material that's being there accumulated is by creating this this artificial canal. And in those cases, it's very painful for the pet. 
the owner normally will notice either pus or blood uh, from the area in a very pungent odor. And normally in those cases, they have to be, uh, you know, those areas have to be flushed. Sometimes they have to, the pet has to be sedated to be able to do that, uh, put on antibiotics and, and pain medication as well. Um, the, the anal glands are pretty much, um, to think about it easily, it's like two water balloons that sit on the, on the rectum and um, they pretty much produce material that stop for marking uh, territory. Um, and so there isn't a lot of uh, research about them, but we have noticed in clinical practice that if a pet is overweight, they'll have issues with the anal glands, both dogs and cats. If they have underlying allergies, they'll have also issues with, with anal glands. And there are some cases where there seems to be a genetic predisposition as well to have those type of issues. Um, it is, um, you know, in, in, in those cases, the first thing would be highly recommended if, if your boxer is a little bit overweight uh, to have them lose that weight because that's going to help with the issue. The other thing would be that if there is some allergies being seen, if the allergies are addressed, that would also help the issue. And then the, the third thing, which uh, we do in a, in a semi-regular basis, is expressing the anal glands. So that is a good idea. Normally, about every six to eight weeks, we do the checkups. Um, if it's a pet that's having it, uh, a habitual issue with them. Other ones, if it's more of an allergy-based issue, um, might only need to come in that frequently during whatever season they have that issue. So if they're having that issue in the fall, that's when they would come in six to eight weeks. And then the rest of the year, you know, they might get checkups every 12 weeks or 18 weeks, you know, depending on how full they get. And then if it's a pet that has year-long allergies, they're having obviously to come in more frequently. If it's a weight thing, normally it's six to eight weeks until they can lose uh, the weight where they're at a weight that, that they should be in. And then sometimes that, that issue... Um, either the, the frequency of it decreases or the severity of it decreases. Um, the other thing that people do sometimes is add fiber to the diet. They do sell uh, different products. A lot of them go by the name of No Scoot. Um, that has some pumpkin uh, fiber in it, you know, sometimes uh, among other things, but that sometimes helps. Um, I've also seen uh, um, sometimes use Metamucil, um, you know, in these cases, but um, there, there is no, um, you know, uh, effective cure for it that, that can be applied, um, in every scenario, you know, it's very individualized, like I said, depending on the allergies or the weight, et cetera. The most consistent thing, almost like a grooming appointment would be to get the anal glands checked, you know, periodically to prevent, uh, a fistula formation and to, uh, give some relief to the pet. So, I, I would encourage doing that. And there is a difference on how veterinarians and groomers tend to do the anal glands and, and the expression. Vets as a whole, uh, almost is like a rectal exam, so you're able to palpate the entire anal gland. Usually groomers do it externally. And I've had some groomers, you know, that can do it pretty proficiently, but I've had had cases where um, either not the entire material was drained and so the, the pet was still scooting after they went to the groomer, or they were not really felt very well uh, on the exterior, um, and and they were th and they was thought that they were either uh, you know empty, and then when they came in uh, and we palpated them uh, uh, rectally, they were actually very full um, because the owner would still see some of the the clinical signs after the fact. So uh, I would encourage it to at least be checked uh, by a vet to see if 
if it's something that you will have to you know uh, address uh, potentially in a in a more okay. frequent type of basis dr louise about pumpkin i've read two different um, versions of that pumpkin is good for constipation in dogs and pumpkin is good for when they have diarrhea so is it good for both or which one is it So I've noticed more improvement. Uh, so that's an interesting question. It depends on the situation. So high fiber diets, the main goal of it is to try to keep, uh, just like a human, more regular. Now, in the anal gland aspect of things, it's meant to make the stool a little bit firmer so that when you're defecating, uh, the, the stool itself pushes against the anal glands and so they're able to express. Um, so that's the purpose for the pumpkin or any type of fiber, even the Metamucil, in those particular type of cases. Now, there can be some contraindications. If I have a fully constipated animal, like a megacolon animal, then sometimes you need to be careful with that because what you're actually trying to do is loosen the stool up so that it flows a little bit better rather than make it more firm, right? So uh, in those cases, you don't want to give that. So... Uh, to be honest, when I have a pet with uh, diarrhea as a whole, I don't normally use fiber uh, because in a lot of the cases, especially in dogs, it tends to be related to like a pancreatitis or things of that nature. It tends to be one of the more common things that we see. So you're trying to give the body things that are more digestible. And so that's why we normally go with like the chicken and rice diet or things like that that are easily digestible. Fiber is going to cause, because it's not able to be broken down by the system, sometimes a little bit extra work for that GI system because it's going to try to break it down, but it's not going to be successful. Um, so I don't normally use it for diarrhea cases. For constipation cases, uh, like I said, it, it, you know, it depends on, you know, if it's, a, if, it's a, if it's a very mild version, sometimes you can use it, but if it's a, a more severe to the point where there's compaction going on, you know, normally that's when you're actually giving a, a, an enema or things of that nature uh, to help out. But I have seen where dogs actually eat grass, which is a source of fiber, uh, when they're having any type of GI upset, uh, whether it be constipation or diarrhea, um, to tr try to cleanse their body. Now, the, you know, how, how effective it is, you know, like I said, it kind of depends on, okay. on their clinical situation. The last question is from Shannon from Bath, Ohio. I have three dogs, six months, three and seven years old. I can't get them to stop eating each other's feces or eating deer or goose poop. It's so gross. <laughs> I think they learned it from the seven-year-old. I've tried tons of different chews and powders from pet stores, but nothing helps. I have a newborn baby and the dogs lick her. I worry they will make her sick. What can I do? So in regards to the eating uh, of uh, feces, it is a, a relatively common issue in dogs. Um, and unfortunately, there isn't a silver bullet for it. Um, I'm not obviously familiar with which products you use to um, you know, that you used on your own pets that you got at the pet store to control it. But the one that we normally use at the clinic is called uh, Forbid. 
F-O-R, and then a dash bid, uh, B-I-D. Um, and that particular product, the instructions are on the, the actual packages, is something that you mix with the food. The idea behind that is that it makes the stool uh, have such a bitter taste that when the pet does try the, the stool, it's supposed to um, curve that type of behavior. Um, obviously, it does entail that if, if your particular pet is eating their own stool, they have to eat the, the food mixed with this powder, and then you have to allow them to eat the stool so they get a taste of it so that they then, uh, you know, uh, ideally don't continue the behavior. Now, there are pets where it just does not work. They, they uh, still eat the, the feces even with the, the more, uh, you know, aversive uh, flavoring that, that, that it would have. Um, now, um, sometimes the other, um, product that's being used has been meat tenderizer, but it's the same concept. You, you would sprinkle it on the food, they would uh, eat the food, and then they would get a taste of the bitterness from their, their stool. Now, if you have other dogs in the household, like it's in, in this particular case, every dog would have to get the powder so that the stool from each individual dog would have that bitter uh, taste um, so that, uh, you know, if any of the dogs is, is, you know, pretty much trying any of the other dogs' feces, they get that, that bad, bitter uh, uh, taste to try to avoid that behavior. Now, in the case of, uh, you know, wildlife per se, you know, the deer, the, the geese, etc., that's going to be very difficult because obviously the, the, you're not going to be able to feed the any of the the powder uh, mixtures you know with uh, with the wildlife so in those cases what i tend to recommend is trying to have um, pretty much more supervision when they go out so instead of um, you know letting them roam freely sometimes taking them out with a leash so that if you do notice um, any deer feces or any geese geese feces you are able to pull them away from that so that um, you know you're kind of able to get them to stop that particular behavior. Um, in some cases, it's uh, something that you have to deal with for the rest of the life of the pet. So in those cases, you, you might have to go with them, you know, outside every time they go outside to try to, you know, prevent that. I've had other owners that have somewhat been able to manage it with like a fenced-in yard, but obviously deer, raccoon, etc., can sometimes still get through, but to try to limit a little bit the, the exposure in those cases. And then, um, it, obviously, in the case of the hygiene aspect of things, I would be a little bit, uh, um, you know, uh, I would try to avoid having the, you know, any small child pretty much be licked uh, by them because of the fact that, yes, there is some, um, you know, parasites, et cetera, that could be transmitted to humans from, uh, uh, you know, the feces of, of the pet and if the if these guys in particular are eating the feces, um, they could potentially transmit that uh, to to the to the the baby. So yeah, you want to be careful in those in those cases. Very good. Thank you so much, Dr. Luis, for answering those five questions. I really appreciate it, and I know that um, I've had uh, the audience ask me about um, the podcast and um, they are anxious to hear your answers. So thank you so much. 
And uh, now I would like to ask you to tell us a little bit more about your alpaca farm. I watched the video and I have to tell you, those alpacas are just so cute. I love them. Um, I would want to have one. So how did you get to have an alpaca farm? So that was actually something that um, uh, my folks, when I was in veterinary school, um, decided to kind of get involved with that. And um, I, I uh, got a call my sophomore year of vet school uh, informing <laughs> me that they were getting some some alpacas and to, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about them. I did have a very good professor um, that... Uh, was known in the in the alpaca uh, world uh, as Dr. Anderson, who originally and still did obviously large animals, and he was mainly a veterinary surgeon for large animals, and you know did did uh, cattle, you know, etc. Uh, but he had also, um, you know, I, it was one of those things where the initial, uh, um, you know, uh, where we started the United States, anyways, uh, importing these animals was in the late '80s. And a lot of veterinarians didn't really know, you know, what to do with these animals, you know, where to, where to place them. So when they went to the vet schools, because they require any type of medical uh, treatment, they pretty much got lumped with large animals. It was the closest thing they were, you know, related to. So a lot of studies then started, you know, with their anatomy and everything else, because there wasn't really a lot of information. You know, cattle has been researched for the last 50 plus years. You know, these guys are relatively new in that sense. So trying to learn about their parasites and everything. And so this particular uh, uh, doctor uh, took a special interest in it and, and actually was at Ohio State for a long time and did uh, um, even got a, a herd created for them. And then when he went to Kansas State, did the same thing. And he had done his uh, graduate studies, if I recall correctly, at Kansas. And so, um, you know, he... Uh, um, you know, was teaching there when I happened to, to be in vet school over there. And, um, you know, so I learned some things from him, um, you know, with the, the alpacas. And then when I graduated, um, the, at that point, my folks had already bought the, a farm, uh, you know, for the alpacas. And so the original, I believe it was either seven or nine alpacas, uh, you know, became 20, you know, 25, et cetera to where now we have about 55 wow. alpacas and they each have their own name, um, you know, and, and, and it's unique because uh, like any other animal, if you spend enough time with them, they each have their own mannerisms. You can kind of tell them apart and you can actually uh, remember their names of, of each and each one because of different things that they do. I mean, I have some that will eat uh, apples out of your hand or sometimes the, the feed. Um, I have other ones that will actually come up to you and, and let you pet them. I have other ones that are more hesitant. You know, they'll kind of stand back and they'll watch you and everything, but they, they're they a little more anxious per se. Um, they don't really uh, spit per se. What they have is uh, kind of the equivalent of cud because it is, these guys have three stomachs. And so it, it's a defense mechanism that they have, but what it is is actually pretty much a, a glove of probiotics. So I've had cases where if I have a, an animal, for example, that's not doing so well, I do do what's called transphonation, where I actually purposely have one of these animals, uh, you know, uh, spit some of this cut out 
so that I can then give that to the animal that's not doing well because of those probiotics that then would help with the digestion. Any of these animals, cows and, you know, ruminants and small ruminants and pseudo ruminants, you know, uh, they require these bacteria to be able to survive, to live, because that's what allows them to break down the, the vegetation that they eat. Um, the biggest difference between them and us and why, you know, we, we, you know, we are not able to do that. Dogs are not able to do that. So why fiber? We, we can't break it down. They can. Um, so uh, it, it, it grew. It was a farm that, you know, got bigger. And then right now, I'm, you know, we, we haven't bred for a while purposely because um, I have to be able to obviously juggle the stuff that goes there and, and, and full-time job and everything else. So um, right now, it's pretty much... Uh, two barns where you have the, the males, uh, and then there's three barns where we have the females. Um, and there, um, there's a little, you know, a creek per se that divides the males and the females. So there's a bridge you have to cross to get there. Um, and we've had the farm since 2010. Uh, and so we have the shearing that's done once a year. There's actually a gentleman that comes from Australia. Um, and he does the, the shearing. His wife is actually from New Zealand. So she's come up a couple of times that's done once a year. Um, and then, uh, we actually bale, uh, hay from, from the back of the property for the, for the animals. Uh, that's usually once or twice a year. Um, and, uh, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, experience. They're very calm animals. They're, Actually, their their stool doesn't really smell like uh, you would have cattle, for example. So and it's and so that that's a <laughs> definitely positive. And they're very uh, very calm animals. They're very relaxing when you go out and see them. And they've even done uh, some comparisons where they took uh, um, alpaca uh, feces and they had like tomato, for example, to grow versus your uh, regular, you know, miracle grow, etc. And they noticed that. It actually, there's enough nitrates and everything in that that it makes it grow a lot quicker. Wow. Um, so it seems like it's uh, so we we, we try to re we have a an area that's kind of your I guess your manure pile that we put back into the ground and to help the vegetation grow and everything. So everything's pretty much used, uh, you know, in, in in the farm kind of gets recycled for all intents and purposes. Um, and then we have the fleece that's uh, you know there's different types of that that we get from these guys um and uh, that normally we we have a, a, a website uh where we can uh, sell the fleece the raw fleece or already processed you know and the, usually with the process um you know they take the raw fleece they make yarn out of it and then the yarn can then be made into actual products you know whether that be gloves or socks or uh, sweaters hats etc um and uh, uh depending on you know we have some people that uh like the the raw fleece because they use it as stuffing or they use it for insulation you know things of that nature the yarn normally is more for people that want to knit their own sweaters or scarves or things of that nature and then the final product uh, normally with some exceptions we do have stuff that's 100 percent alpaca but for example, in the cases of socks, they do have to be mixed with nylon or other products to give it a little bit more uh, 
resistance, you know, more resilient so that it lasts a little bit longer and doesn't break down as quickly. Uh, but as a whole, uh, all the, a lot of them have a very high content, if not 100% of the, the alpaca fiber. That is so cool. I would love to come out um, after COVID and um, see the, the alpacas. And um, please, Dr. Luis, can you tell the audience exactly how to maneuver the, to the website? Um, because I have the link up and the video. But um, can you explain to them how to maneuver through the website so that they get specifically to your farm, which is called Peruvian Soul Alpaca Farm? And then from there, how can they get to where to the store where they can buy some of these products? So pretty much um, our website is uh, within a database of different farms throughout the country. Um, and what you want to do is go to openherd.com. So that's O-P-E-N-H-E-R-D.com. And when you go to that website, that's the database. And so there's, like I said, a lot of different farms from, from throughout the country. And you'll see a tab on the upper left side. It's, it's the first tab that says farms. So you click on that. And then where it says keywords, you just type in Peruvian Soul Alpaca Farm. As soon as you do that, um, the, the tab will show um, actually my folks' name on there. My dad's also a veterinarian. And then you would just click on there, and then that will take you to the, our website. Now, on our website, um, on the left-hand side, it'll say, there'll be a tab that says products. And right below that, you'll have kind of like subtitles of the different products that are available, whether it's the raw fiber, the yarn, um, the rugs, et cetera. And then that, when you click on that, it'll take you to pictures of the products as well as, um, you know, the prices and, and how they, uh, you know, how, how they come in, you know, what's available, the different colors, um, sizes, you know, et cetera. Um, and then that's how you're able to, um, you know, place the order. Normally it's, um, you know, we'll get an, an email, um, you know, or a text with the information and then we'll do the contacting from there and get the product out. I've looked at those products and I want to tell the listeners that if you have kids, please go to the website and buy them these adorable little finger puppets that's on the website. Those are so cute. I wish my kids were still little and they would, because I know they would have loved to play with that. Yeah, yeah, we do have. I had actually one of the the receptionists at the vet hospital. She she actually adopted a couple of kids and, and she got quite a bit of them too. She seemed to enjoy them. They, they seem to actually be somewhat popular with, with kids at his yeah, bedroom. Yeah, I love those. Dr. Luis, thank you so very much for taking the time uh, to do this podcast with me. I really appreciate it. I know that the audience appreciate the time that you took to answer their questions. Thank you very much. And um, before we go, I was wondering if you have a special message maybe to leave us with today. Yeah, pretty much. And I believe a uh, Luckily, it seems like a lot of people have uh, heeded that already. Um, but, you know, to to go and, and vote, you know, whether it's mail in or or, you know, taking your ballot physically, 
uh, in or, or going to one of the voting locations to to um, you know go out and vote because that is uh, probably the the most uh, important uh, right and responsibility that we have as, as citizens of this country. Absolutely, I agree with you so much, especially during this time and. I hope everyone that uh, listens to this podcast is healthy, um, wear your mask and keep everyone else um, safe and healthy. And again, Dr. Luis, thank you so much for the podcast tonight. Um, Take care and hopefully you will come back and be my guest again in another episode. Yeah, that would be my pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.